0: with me to John chapter 1. We're not going to start reading yet. I've got a, a few things I want to say as we get into this. We're taking a break from the series that we have been in in the study of Acts and starting this new series for the next four weeks leading to Christmas, how the coming of Christ shapes your identity. But before we get there and before we read, I think some of you would recognize these words. Some of you might even be able to hear his voice in these words. Space, The final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Some of you who are younger are like, I have no clue what you're talking about. And that's cool. It's okay. Um, Here's a clue. For his 90th birthday, this man got to actually do what he had previously only done on a TV set. right? He got to go aboard Blue Origin and fly into space. I'm referring to William Shatner, Captain Kirk in Star Trek gone into space. How cool would that be? The Hubble telescope we've sent out, right, has returned amazing pictures of galaxies and space far out there. It's it's fantastic. We've sent rovers to Mars, right? We're exploring space in all kinds of ways, and the, the questions behind that are questions like, is there life out there? Can we save Earth? Or can we escape Earth to survive its demise? Those are some of the questions people are asking. And while we explore the far reaches of space out there, one of the things that we're also doing is exploring inner space within our own souls, within our own beings, within our own psyche, within our own personality. I mean, consider the movement for people to identify with whatever ethnicity they want to identify with, to identify with whatever gender they want to identify with, right? It's, it's asking the question, who am I? Who do I want to be? Who am I? Or consider the movement uh, of, of the Enneagram, personality profile study, or consider the increased demand for counseling, right? You and I are asking questions, who am I? What shapes my identity? What out there and those circumstances and those big meaning questions shape me? And what is it inside me that shapes me? Why am I saying all this? I'm simply making that observation that you and I are all on a quest to discover. To discover questions about life, meaning, existence, what it means to be human, we're exploring and discovering things that shape our identity, and that's why we want to do this series for the next four weeks on the things that shape our identity and how Christ shapes that identity. Research shows that some of the biggest things that shape your identity are your family, your country, right? Kind of part of that's part of the culture and who you are, your friends, and, uh, and your faith. And So I ask you some questions just Maybe these touch a point with you. Are you looking for something bigger than you to give meaning to your life? Are you looking for voices to affirm you? Voices from family, from friends, from colleagues. You might be happy to stand up and sing, I'm proud to be an American. Or you might proudly boast that your state is the one for lovers. right? But all these things are things that help reinforce things we believe about ourselves our identity and shape us you might be looking for experiences or pleasures to make you feel alive your sexuality to define you maybe you're just constantly scanning your social media and looking for things right and your social media will no doubt bombard you with images and messages saying this is what you should be this is what you should like this is how you should define yourself Right, It's constant bombardment. All around us, things are putting impressions on us, and we perceive those things. And so, for these Sundays leading up, we are asking this question, how does the coming of Christ shape my identity? And the text we're going to read now, in John, I think, sheds some light on that as you explore your identity. So, follow along with me, if you will. This is the Gospel of John, chapter 1. The words are on the screen, the first five verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Spirit of the living God, I pray that you'll bless the reading of your word. Use it to shape us and our identity. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So what I'm proposing to you today is that Christ shapes your identity. Hopefully you've gotten that from the series title and everything, but that Christ should shape your identity. And there's three points I want to make today. The first one is this, that Christ shapes your identity by giving meaning to your existence. We saw this in the first three verses that I just read, but let me highlight a couple of those things. It starts out with saying the word. In the beginning was the word, right? And the word there, the Greek word that's used is this word logos. And the Greek idea behind that word is the impersonal um, reason that's directing the universe. Kind of that's out there, that's moving things. Think, think Star Wars and the Force, right? That's that impersonal reason, that movement of things that's, that's kind of behind the universe and happening, and you're trying to tap into that force. That's the idea in the Greek way of thinking of logos. That's what it means. But in the Hebrew mind, where the Bible is written to the Jewish people, right? In the Hebrew mind, and John's writing to both, the Greek and the Jew, and he's pulling these things together, what he's saying is in the Jewish idea, that word is personal, not impersonal. It is personal, and it is the reason behind things, the existence. um, But it is personal in its expression of thought or speech. And it's active. It actually accomplishes things. So we're told in the Bible that God speaks, uses his word to create the world, brings things into existence. He guides prophets to speak. He delivers his people by his word. He accomplishes will by his word. So his word is active and personal. And then the other thing that we see in this text is, is, and there's a lot more that can be said about that. I'm kind of glossing over that right now. But in verse 3, it tells us very clearly that through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. So what John is saying is that this word, this reason behind the universe that is very personal, created everything. Now, why am I saying this? Why is John saying this? What I want to impress upon you today is it gives meaning to your existence. You've been created by God who is personal and has purpose and meaning for you. I think that's important and that's significant. I mean, think about it this way for a moment. Let's, let's assume the opposite. Let's say there is no God and there's no real personal reason or meaning to life then what are you left with? Well, in in one sense, it's kind of like, hey, this is cool. This is kind of liberating. That means I get to define for myself why I exist. I get to define for myself meaning, value, morals, and purpose in life. This sounds great. In fact, this is what America is selling in so many ways, right? What America is selling is be your own God. You do you. I just have to be true to myself. Right? All that is saying, I'm going to define me. But what sounds freeing at first, I want to propose to you, actually becomes a crushing burden. How so? I think if you are left to define your own existence, to give meaning to your very existence, can you, can you actually do that? If you have to create your own morals and justify your own existence and give meaning to your own life, if there's no divine reason or purpose behind it, you're always left searching for it, discovering, continually discovering but never arriving, continually looking to belong but never actually belonging. There's no destination point to get to, it's just a process of ongoing, I hope I find meaning. I'm going to reassign meaning in this way or maybe that way until it makes me feel good. But you will never actually get there because there's no end point, there's no purpose, there's no ultimate meaning. So it's always fluctuating, always changing, always moving. You're aiming at a moving target. And it sounds like this when I hear it from you. I just want to give moral direction to my children and feel like I need to do that, but I'm not quite sure why or how. Or I have some ideas, but I need some help in it. Right? Saying, I need meaning. I need value in life. My kids need it. Or I hear it this way. I failed at my job or at my marriage, and I feel worthless. And while that's hard, right, what you're saying is there's meaning and value in that, and there is meaning and value in it. But now that it's gone, what meaning or what value do you have? Or I hear it this way, I've succeeded at life and I should be happy and yet I have this nagging thing within me that I'm lacking something, I'm missing something, I'm left unfulfilled. Right? You went after the thing that you thought would give you the most meaning and now you've got it, and now what? Every Christian believes in God but practically speaking, there's times where we kind of stop believing, right? That is, we stop putting it into practice, right? And we stop listening to his voice, and we can feel aimless. We can feel like we're wandering. When you try to find meaning, value, and identity, and you still feel lacking, then I want to suggest to you what you need to do is actually turn to God, and what you have done is practically functioned as if God's not there to give you meaning. That you're trying to do it all through your own identity-making process. Saying, this is who I am. And you need to stop. And you need to kind of step back and reflect and go, okay, what does God say about that? You need to listen to God's voice and who he says I am. Let me move on to the second point. The second point is this, that Christ shapes your identity by illuminating your perspective. Here, I think, is where it gets a little bit more practical because before that was kind of like philosophical. And you're like, poof. Okay, just moving along. Christ shapes your identity by illumining your, per, your perception. And we see this in verses 4 and 5 that we read where it talked about light and darkness, right? It says the light shines in the darkness. What, what does light do? If it's dark, if you're, if you're out at night and you, and you need a flashlight because you're like going outside to look for something, you dropped in your yard, you're like, I can't quite see, the light's not good, and you take a flashlight and you hit it to illumine that so that you can see reality more clearly. Or if you're taking a photograph of somebody, but it's dark outside, and you take the picture, and you like look at it, and you're like, I did this like a, a couple months ago. We were out to eat, and I took a picture of some people, and, um, and it was terrible. And I knew and I was like, sorry, it's kind of dark. And they're like, yeah, you didn't take a very good picture, so they got their waitress to do it later. But anyways, um, so I blew it, but it was too dark to really be seen, because they couldn't see the reality and capture all the fullness of what was there. In other words, you need light to fully see and to be illumined and have perspective and perception of what reality is. And John is saying that light penetrates the darkness to do that. Another way of saying this is saying our ability for self-discovery is true, but it's limited. Right? We can self-discover things. We can research and learn and do scientific study, and it's great and it's valuable. But it's also limited, right? And your own ability to discover who you are is limited by your experiences, by your knowledge. And what John is saying is you need light to shine into that darkness so that you see, so you have an aha moment. And you're like, oh, I never realized that about myself. I never thought about this aspect. So you need to ask God to help you understand yourself to understand him, to understand the Bible as you read it, like, I don't know, it's kind of confusing, right? Help me understand it. And when you deny that you need spiritual light to see the full picture, it has consequences in life, right? Here's some of the consequences. If you stop listening to Christ, what will you do? You'll listen to anyone, right? It's what we do all the time. We always have voices, our own voices in our head, other voices talking to us, And if you stop listening to Christ, you'll listen to any other voice out there telling you what to do, what to believe about yourself, who you should be or who you're not supposed to be. You will listen to what you want to hear, whether it's true or not, whether it's kind or not, whether it's good or not. You'll be like, yes, that's what I need to hear. But here's the problem. Those voices change their minds because they're people. They come from humans and humans change their minds. And they will change their opinions of you and what you should do and how you should look or how you should act or how you should behave or how you should identify. And they will move the target and then you'll, left be, you'll be left feeling lacking again. What am I going to do now? But the truth is we all need voices to affirm us. We all need voices to guide us, to direct us, to shape us. That's important. It's powerful. We need it. And Humans can help with that in great ways. It's what we're supposed to do for one another, to encourage one another. But humans can also hurt with their words. Instead of affirming, they can be abusive. Instead of helping, they can be hurtful. Right? And so those words have power. And the question that John is saying here, I think been light into the darkness is will you listen to other voices will you see through different lenses and will you see what God is telling you so I want to encourage you to ask Christ to reveal himself to you this holiday season over the next four weeks as we talk about identity say Jesus will you reveal yourself to me will you shed light on who I am and who I'm supposed to be here's the third point the final point Christ shapes your identity by dwelling in your life experiences. Um, before I get to that, I want to read one more verse, though, to try to put this impression on light and darkness in you. It's Ephesians. Can you put up that passage for me? Ephesians 4, 17 to 19. Notice what Paul, how Paul talks about this. So it's not just John talking about this. Paul says, So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Gentiles is a word for people who are not Jewish. No longer live as the non-Jewish people do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they're full of greed. Boy, we could just go on right there for a long time. But what I want you to see is he's talking about darkness and how it's hardening their hearts. And it's not making them the people that they should be. And so Christ shapes your identity, yes, by illumining your perspective. But finally, this third point is by dwelling in your life experiences. So put verse 14 on the screen from John chapter 1. We did not read this, but this is just a few verses down. It says this, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John uses the word word again right there. The word. The word, the logos. The word revealing the person of God. God is saying, okay, I'm revealing myself through my word to you. In other words, when it says the word became flesh, right, this is what Christmas is about. God came to earth in human flesh, in Jesus. You're like, yeah, I know that. Yeah, but let that sink in for a moment. That means God had to reveal himself to you, not just through written words, but he had to do it in person. In human flesh. God couldn't just write the script for life. He had to write himself into the story as the lead actor in the film, in the play. He's saying, I must enter the world because the darkness is so great that you will not clearly understand who I am unless I enter it personified. So the ideas, even as John was just talking about, and I talked about in Greek philosophy and all those kinds of things, those are true, but but God's saying, you need more than that. You You need me in person. And so he enters and dwells, made his dwelling with us. When it says dwelling there, John's using temple language. Every culture has their temples, right? They do. You can travel around the world. You can see them. I've traveled a good bit. I would love to travel more. But everywhere I go, there's temples in cities, in in ancient ruins, wherever they are, churches, whatever they may be, could be different kinds of things. Temples to mythological gods in in Greece and Rome, right, to Zeus, to whoever, to Aphrodite, all different gods. You can see them everywhere. It's the place in a culture where they say, this is where we will go to meet with God. In America, there's probably lots of ways that happens, but I want to suggest to you a few ways that might happen is at the highest floor in the tallest building in your city. That's where the people of power rule over the sphere of their city and their region. It's where you go, oh, if I could just have that corner office... That's where the gods live. Or the arenas and the stadiums for which we gather and we shout and we cheer and we curse the gods that are competing on the field wishing we could have a swipe of them as they pass by or their autograph. Right? I mean, it's where we gather. These are our temples where we gather to worship. But do they show up for you when you need help? Does the person on the top floor come to your house? Does the person competing on the field show up in your life? Here's what I'm suggesting to you, and and please don't miss this. Everybody seeks out God. They put temples together and try to go find. It's discovering. It's exploring. It's that quest for what's out there and what's in here. But what God said and what God did is to say, You can seek and you should seek, but it's not enough. If you really want to know me, I'm coming to you. I'm leaving the top floor of heaven and I'm coming to earth. And I'm not just going to be in the stadium looking for all the fame and praise, but I'm coming into your house where people are hurting and sick and dying. And I will come be with you in the lowest parts of your life. This is what God is doing To say, I come to you and I will identify with you and shape your identity. I have two good friends that were college roommates, John and Troy. And we still get together almost every year. Um, And uh, the year that I started this church in 2005, uh, I got a phone call from Troy's mom. I lived with his family for a summer, so she knew me well and I got a phone call and she said "Um, we've lost him I was like what we've lost Noah which was Troy's four year old son they were on vacation and he died he had a heart condition they didn't know about had it from birth and he just dropped dead on vacation at their lake house So John and I didn't know what to do, but we knew we couldn't do nothing. And he had to travel from his lake house in New Hampshire to his home in Georgia. And so John and I talked, and John was in Florida at the time, and I was here, and we said, "Well, he can't arrive there alone." And so we left, and we beat him to his house. and we sat on his steps, and when he pulled up the driveway, we were there waiting. Didn't have words to say. Just hugged him. Said, we love you, man. And you see, this is what God does at Christmas. He doesn't say, just set up your temple and come find me. He says, I'm coming to you. I will come to you in person. So that you know that I'm here and that you know that I care. I'm entering your life, taking on your experiences. Jesus comes and takes on your experience and knows temptation, though he was without sin. He takes on your experiences and knows your suffering and your your sorrow. Jesus went to the lowest of places. He was born in a stable, (laughs) not in a palace. He was visited by shepherds who at the time were like the lowliest people and jobs on earth. Like, you didn't trust them. They probably considered them thieves. But, hey, watch the sheep. Those are who come to greet him when he's born. He goes to the blind. He goes to the beggars. He goes to the thieves, to the sexually immoral. And he shows them mercy. He says, I have come that you might know life. That if you find your identity in me, it'll give you Meaning. It'll give you illuminating understanding. And I live with you. In person. Here's what I'm willing to bet for you who are call yourselves Christians, as I do, right? As most of us do here. I'm willing to bet that, that as Christians that most of the time, maybe not most, a good bit of the time, that you live in such a way as to doubt the reality of the coming of Christ into the world. And the reason I suggest that is because I think I do. I think I live that way. So if I'm wrong, I'm in deep trouble here. Um, If you guys don't understand this and I'm like, okay, well, I'm just laying it out there. This is how I feel. Here's what I mean. It's common for me to think when hard things come my way, well, I guess God's not that good after all. I guess he doesn't really care. I mean, is he going to really care about me? Is he really going to show up for me? He, he's probably good to others. He won't be good to me. That's saying, God, you don't care enough to come and be good in my life. All right? Or another way is when you sin and you rebel against God and you do your own thing and you think, oh, yeah, I messed up. That's, that's, pretty, that's a bad one. And, um, and you think, well, he's probably... He's probably angry, and um, he's probably really angry. And you probably think that, well, I probably think that, because that's how I get with others, get really angry really fast, right? Think, oh, God's, yeah. Kids, you probably think this because your parents, like, oh, when you do something wrong, like, oh, man, mom and dad, they are mad. And so you think, oh, yeah, God's probably mad. I'm not saying when you do things wrong that that's fine and good. It's not what you should do. It's not what God delights in. But also I'm saying the coming of Christ shows that your sin does not scare God away. He doesn't withdraw and sit back angry. He moves towards you. He comes to you in that. Think of it this way. Maybe you have been hurt by others. You've suffered abuse. You've been robbed. You've been raped. You carry deep pain and you do not trust people the same way and you might be asking questions like am i too broken or too scarred to be loved. And the coming of Christ shapes your identity by saying look your sin cannot scare me off and your scars Do not make me not love you. Because I came to you. And I will come again to you. Jesus comes to us in the midst of our pain. In the midst of our abuse. He was abused. He has scars. He experienced the pain of loss of friends by death and by betrayal. He experienced relational separation from his family. And some of you don't like the holidays because it reminds you of all of that. And what he is saying here is that I empathize with you. I came so that you can locate your identity in me, in Christ. That's what Jesus is saying. And that's what I want us to do. And we'll explore that in various ways over the next few weeks. I need to stop talking here, so I'm going to close by reading this verse. Matthew 11, verse 27 to 29. Will you put that on the screen for us? This verse, uh, 28 and 29, is something many of you in your groups have been reading in a book called Gentle and Lowly. It's a verse that's put over those two center doors right there when you enter the sanctuary. But I wanted to read to you verse 27 for some context. It says this, All things have been committed to me by my Father. This is Jesus speaking. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to... Reveal him. Illumine the darkness. Your powers of self-discovery are great but limited. You need it to have Jesus revealed to you. God revealed to you. It's why he came in the flesh. And so Jesus is saying, except he chooses to reveal to him. Now go on. What is he going to reveal about himself? Oh no, God's going to reveal himself. Who is he? Jesus says, come to me. All you who are weary. All you who are burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. God is saying, I'm going to reveal myself to you. You're like, oh no, who is he? He comes in the person of Jesus and says, I'm gentle and I'm lowly, and I'm going to give you rest. Because your own quest and exploration to define your meaning and existence in life is unending and unsatisfying, and you need to find it in me, and then you will have rest. Maybe you've pushed God aside in life. Maybe during COVID you walked away from God, or maybe you're coming toward God. Whatever the case may be, will you pray a prayer, a simple one-sentence prayer for the next few weeks, this... Jesus, will you shape my identity? Jesus, will you please shape my identity? Make that your prayer this Christmas season. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you will shape our identity indeed. And you have in so many ways, and yet we are quick to forget, slow to remember, easy to doubt. For those who are curious and who are kind of seeking and saying I don't know I feel like I'm lacking something I'm missing something Jesus will you reveal yourself to them to be the light in the darkness to be the hope where there is a lack of meaning And Jesus will you empathize with our experiences as you have already done will you help us to know that and believe it I pray in Jesus name amen